Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. Welcome to Morning Moments with Maya. Conversations of love and laughter. The show where each week your host, social worker and certified humor professional, Maya Aziz, invites someone who is out there pushing the positive to join her for a heartfelt and often hilarious coffee conversation about love, laughter, leadership, and, well, life. Love and laughter might not cure what ails you, but they sure go a long way to getting you through those tough life moments. So sit back, pour yourself a cup, and get ready to laugh and learn today on Morning Moments. Look for the good. It is all around. It sure is. And good morning, listeners. Here we are again on this beautiful Sunday morning, ready for yet another great coffee conversation with someone who is out there pushing the positive. This is your host, Maya Aziz, coming to you live from Montreal this October 30th, 2016. It is a couple of weeks until my birthday, and I only mention that because as my birthdays carry on coming, whether I like them or not, I find more and more this is a time of year where I tend to get a little bit self-reflective about my life and where things are at and how I'm spending my time becoming more and more aware of the fact that perhaps I don't have quite as much of it as I would like. And so I tend to think about how I'm prioritizing things in my life and set goals for myself about what I'm going to do this year to really achieve what I want to achieve and enjoy it and how am I going to get it all together this year. Now, I have a friend who, like me, is sort of into the early phases of middle age and is similarly, like me, motivated to get her life on track. And sometimes I am in complete awe of her. She is determined to get healthy. She is also a working mom and wants to spend time with her kids and really live life to the fullest. Now, let me describe to you an average day in her life. So she gets up at about 5 o'clock every morning so that she can go to the gym because, of course, exercise is important for health and stress management. We all know that. She then comes home and gets her two young kids ready for school. She makes them breakfast, chases them around the house, signing tests maybe they forgot to give her the night before. She drives them to school, arrives to work at about 7.30 so that she can be prepped for the day's work. She'll work until 4, sometimes 5, usually also through lunchtime in order to feel as though she's not falling behind too much. Then she rushes home and makes supper. There's homework. She takes the kids to soccer or music lessons. Often there's a late night trip to the grocery store because she forgot that they were out of bread and there's nothing she can pack for the kids lunches and then when the kids are bathed and in bed and the kitchen is cleaned up she will sit down and open her computer to finish work that she needs to do for the next day or she will log into the correspondence course that her boss has encouraged her to take for her own professional development. And somewhere around 1 a.m., or actually I happen to know that sometimes it's later because she will send me these emails that are time-stamped for 3 a.m. on a Tuesday morning, she will crash out and she dreams of the guilt about the fact that the laundry hasn't been folded and it's piling up on the basement couch or that she didn't check in on her parents that day or her anxiety about the presentation that she's not as prepared for that she would like to be until the alarm goes off a few hours later and it all starts again. 
Now, listen, she is not alone, and I know that I'm not the only one who can relate to her routine. Though, if I'm being completely honest, I am never getting up at 5 a.m. to go to the gym because, oh my goodness, I am way too exhausted to find that kind of energy. And the only soccer that my kids play is probably kicking around the rolled-up socks that have never quite made it back into their drawers. According to the Canadian Mental Health Association, 58% of Canadians report overload as a result of the pressures associated with work, home and family, friends, physical health, volunteer, and community service. Great, I'm not alone. Except hold on, friends, physical health, community service? You mean people have time for all of that? Fantastic. So now I'm not only exhausted and overwhelmed, but I'm feeling kind of anxious and inadequate. There has got to be another way. Repeatedly deciding not to do the things we want can't be the answer. This spinning of wheels and always feeling like you're one pebble away from flying off the track can't be the new normal. We know it and we know we need to make changes, but time or energy and where do we even start Well, thank goodness that I have a guest today who is going to help us. Sharon Weinstein, author of the award-winning book, B is for Balance, 12 Steps Toward a More Balanced Life at Home and at Work, is a keynote speaker, consultant, and educator with over three decades of global healthcare experience. She holds the coveted Certified Speaking Professional, or CSP, designation, the highest earned international recognition for professional speakers, making her one of only 12% of all speakers to hold this designation and one of only 22 nurses in the world with this credential. Sharon is a graduate of the Kellogg Executive Management Program and a fellow of the American Academy of Nursing. She is a clinical assistant professor in the Department of Nursing at the University of Illinois Chicago College of Nursing, Associate Dean of Speakers Academy and Vice President of NSA DC, President of the Global Education Development Institute, and a member of the Professional Advisory Board of Kaplan University. As if that wasn't enough. Sharon served as director of the Office of International Affairs for an 1800 Hospital Alliance for over 10 years and as U.S. advisor to the Kremlin Hospital in Moscow. I mention all of this not just because it is such an impressive bio, but clearly Sharon is no stranger to stress or over-the-top workloads. And if there is anyone out there who can help us figure out how to maintain some sanity on the seesaw of our modern lives, it is surely my guest today. Sharon, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for the kind invitation to join you. You know, the description of your friend tired me out. Yes! <laughs> I know, I know. And imagine actually doing that. And I say imagine, but so many of us do do that. Exactly. Exactly. So, what so you Sharon- described sounds like 60% of the people I know. Exactly, exactly. But tell me, Sharon, how what prompted you yourself to become so interested in this idea of life balance? Where did that come from? It came from me being just like the individual you described. I worked 100 hours a week, three countries a week, in the former Soviet Union or in Central and Eastern Europe, two weeks out of every month for 10 years. 
On one of my trips, the plane that we were on had contraband on board. Now, this is not a typical commercial airline. It was an old Aleutian 57 with a glass nose. As a matter of fact, there were a few seatbelts, and they invited you to sit in the nose under the legs of the pilot to see the plane land. It was quite unusual. (laughs) And the contraband on board was butter and sausage, not drugs, not alcohol, but butter and sausage. And so the officials decided that they wouldn't allow the plane to leave the country for four days. And Mm. when that happened, I missed an incredible life experience. It was an engagement party for my son, and it was in New York. And so here I was in the Caucasus near the Caspian Sea, thousands of miles and time zones away from what should have been an important moment in my life. And at that time, I decided that if there was an engagement party, there would be a wedding. And if there was a wedding Perhaps there would be children. And if there would be children, I was never going to miss that. And it was at that time and in that moment that I decided to transform my life into one in which I had balance and I had self-care and I started to take care of me. So, so I mean, it's a very, it was a very personal thing, and certainly I think for many people there's sort of a life event related to family that prompts them to start looking at how they're prioritizing things in their lives. But what is life balance? I mean, it's such a trendy topic now. You know, every Internet blog is talking about life balance. And, but what is it? I mean, is it a life without stress? <laughs> no, we still have our stressors. <laughs> life balance is a concept that includes prioritizing between work, career and ambition, and lifestyle, health, pleasure, leisure, family, spiritual development, meditation, and self-care. It's reaching that point at which you give attention to both concepts. Okay, that, that makes sense to me. But why does it matter? Why is it important? I mean, there are people who prioritize just their, their work. They're hugely ambitious, and you see them just working, working, working. If that's a choice for them, is that okay? I mean, why is this balance important? In today's fast-paced business world, the ability to achieve work-life balance is becoming more and more difficult. It doesn't matter where you live, around the country, or across the globe. Employers expect more from staff, and we're increasingly putting additional pressure on ourselves to achieve greater results. In today's economy, it's even more important because so many jobs have disappeared that many of those who remain in the workforce are assuming responsibility for multiple jobs. So when did it become acceptable for our 9 to 5 working day to become 8 a.m. to 7 p.m. or even later? Many of us have allowed this to happen, whether it's through conforming to the workplace culture or feeling obliged to put in more hours. However, this should not be the case. Maintaining work-life balance is not only important for your personal health and relationships, but it can also improve the efficiency of your work performance. Okay, so it's good for us both personally, physically, mentally, but also for how we work. I found it interesting that um, you mentioned that these increasing demands are impacting on people worldwide. Because I've always wondered, you know, is this just an aspect of Western culture that we are, we've just gone to the extreme in terms of the demands of our workplaces? But I, mean, I know you're someone who has traveled a lot, and so you've seen similar things uh, around the world? Exactly, and... What I find is that our colleagues across the globe look at us in North America and follow our mistakes. 
<laughs> whatever we do poorly, they adopt in their own countries. Look at the influx of fast food restaurants and places that never would have had them. Right? So they follow <laughs> yeah, really. the bad things that we do and adopt them as their own. I remember years ago working with my colleagues in the former Soviet Union and I at the time was giving a clinical presentation on infusion therapy, IV drug administration. And I talked about the mistakes that we have made. And I specifically said, please adapt what works for you, but do not copy our mistakes. <laughs> Just do not do it. That's a really interesting point because you're right. I mean, sort of the Western world is kind of sometimes held up as this ideal. Uh, and yet it's absolutely true that we don't always make the best choices. Uh, and exactly. some other cultures have perhaps had more healthy um, ways of being in the past. And perhaps we need to be looking to the other side sometimes. Exactly. <laughs> The, the other thing you said that w intrigued me was when you said that we have allowed this to happen. And I almost had a bit of a physical reaction to that. I think I, I understand what you're saying, and I think that you're right. But I, I feel like, especially in this climate where, as you say, there are job cuts, and so people are doing more than uh, what they would usually be doing, there's also this feeling that people, they feel as though they don't have a choice um, and so, yes, they sort of allow it, but I mean, what choice do they have if they want to keep their jobs and they need to keep their jobs? Well, first off, let's go back to that. Why is it important? It's important because we become less susceptible to burnouts. <clears throat> Attention is paid where it's due. When you have balance, you have greater control of your focus and we experience fewer health problems. So when you look at those three reasons alone, it's important to adapt this life-work balance mantra, if you will. So that we would actually be more effective in our work if we exactly. took, took We'd be steps more present. to be more balanced. What good is yeah. a warm body in the workplace? You're taking <laughs> up space. Your mind is not where it's supposed to be. And we'll talk more about that later. So going back to your question. Okay. You had asked about perhaps misconceptions about life-work balance? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's yeah. not a result of time management. It's not about finding more time to fit into your day. We all have the same 24-7. There is no magic button to push to get more hours. If you're spending all of your time managing your time, you're focusing in the wrong place. So you'll experience a happier and more fulfilling life by focusing your values, focusing on your values, not your time. You should spend your time on what's important to you. It may be personal growth. It may be professional development, health, family, business. Think about what matters most and focus your energy there. Work-life balance is not affected by the quantity of hours. We talked before about people doing more, assuming responsibility for more hours and more job titles, and that the other jobs are not being filled. Instead, someone is being dumped on. It's about the quality of hours you spend loving what you do. Hmm. There is no magic number of hours that guarantees you'll live a great life that you love. You can work 20 hours a week and feel dissatisfied with your life, and you may work 60 or 100 and love your life. Work-life balance is not a calculation. It's a mindset and daily practice of healthy and happy living. You may not always have the opportunity to do what you love, but you can love what you do so practice making the most of the life that you have and 
work-life balance is not a prize at the end of the race. So often (laughs) we think we must work hard before we can enjoy any benefit. Hard work can pay off, but you don't need to work hard to enjoy and value your life. Don't give up happiness today for a reward that you think you'll get in the future. There is no medal. There is no statue or statuette that's going to reward you for killing yourself. (laughs) Very true. And as you're talking, I'm thinking about these people who say, yeah, I'm going to work really hard and, and sort of gain all of this so that I can enjoy my retirement. You hear that so often as though that is. And then you die. And then you die before the (laughs) retirement. Right. And, and, and it does happen. It really, really does happen. Um, You know, yes, yes. Um, You know, I like what you say about how it's um, it's a mindset now and the importance of loving what you're doing now, as opposed to as feeling as though you're sort of putting things in the bank for later. Um, I also like what you said about a life balance. It's not an equation because I think many of us think that way, right? We think, okay, so if I try to find another hour during the day where I go to an exercise class, then I'll be balanced and everything will be fine. And so we do that and it's still not fine and we can't figure out why. So why exactly. is this so difficult to achieve? Where, where are we sort of getting lost in terms of trying to love or being able to love what we are doing with our time? A great question. It's difficult to achieve because we don't know how to say no. The <laughs> word no is a complete sentence. In Be It's for Balance, I talk about no being a complete sentence. And it's okay to learn how to use the word to bring balance to our lives. If something doesn't fall within your priorities, it's okay to say the magic word no. You have to avoid taking on more than you can possibly handle. So negotiate for workplace balance by knowing yourself and your limitations. The word no can be the best time management tool that you have. Successful balanced professionals are not afraid to ask for help. Everyone needs help from time to time and reaching out is an admirable skill. You must be acutely aware of the stressors in your schedule and in your life. Know yourself first. Manage yourself and take advantage of counseling, coaches, professional peers, masterminds, mentors, and more. If you have the right people in the right seats on your bus, it works better. So having a lot of help is not enough if it's not the right help for the right job. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Need to make an effort to surround yourself with good people and give them the latitude they need to do a good job. One of the former bosses whom I admired most was someone who, A, surrounded himself with good people. By the way, 80% of his leaders were women. And he allowed them the space and the time to do their jobs. Hold them accountable, but give them autonomy to make decisions they will benefit, that will benefit the company, the office, the practice, and you. And then I suggest that everyone utilize the I'll think about it overnight theory. If you have a request that comes to you, before you say yes, why not say, I'll need to get back to you on that. Then consider the time, the energy, the return on the investment, the resources that are needed to fulfill that request. And if necessary, feel free to say, thanks so much for thinking of me. I'm honored, but I must say no. And an example of that is I was recently asked to be the president of a membership society to which I belong. 
As a new member, I was truly honored and very surprised. Because I knew that I couldn't commit 100%, I simply said, I am so honored. Thank you for thinking of me. Please know that I will help in any way possible, but I cannot serve as your president at this time. I face that dilemma now, Maya. I would like to run for president of my National Professional Association. I'm already the vice president of the local chapter, which means that in a year and a half, I will be the president. Can I be the president of the local chapter and do a good job? Or can I make a valuable contribution right now to the national society? I believe that I can do both. And I believe that I can do both and that the timing is right because I've just completed an incredible study of 27 of our 35 chapters. I have information that I have shared that is extremely valuable. And I'd like to at least make that inroad now while my name is out there, recognition is a factor, it will be important to me. But can I do that and still maintain any level of balance? I have until the 4th to submit. I'm thinking about it now. It's a few days away. I could easily do it and easily juggle it. But am I being fair to me? And mm-hmm. I need to create a spec sheet and weigh the pros and the cons of both directions and determine what will be right for me. So even though I consider myself balanced, I still make those choices. Wow. So many, so many things that you just said sort of struck a chord with me. First of all, when you talk about um, feeling that we can say no, um, there's such power in that. And it is so hard. I had a similar situation recently where I made the very, very difficult uh, decision to say I had been on a board for a very long time and was, I was a bit like you advancing towards presidency. And um, there was something that was not sitting right with me in terms of how I was prioritizing time. And so I made that uh, final decision to actually resign. Um, And I'm glad I did. And I knew cognitively, I knew it was right. But emotionally, it was so hard to do, Sharon. Um, And I wonder, too, if as, you know, you mentioned women leaders, I wonder, is this more of an issue for women than men in your experience? I believe it is, and I believe that it is because women think that they have to work harder and smarter, that they have to be better. Our our culture has told us that women have to work twice as hard to get the same recognition as a man, and perhaps they also never really get the pay that they deserve. It's certainly a big issue in elections and in more, and it happens not just in North America, but everywhere. It's something that is increasingly becoming more evident. And so do women work harder and do they try to put in more and do they try to do more and do they try to be more? They do. They try to do it more. But, you know, life balance is a choice. It's a choice between the toll that it takes on each of us with respect to life, relationships, family, productivity, finances, and health. And work-life balance is all about the choices that we make. Let me ask you, when you look at your own life, is it really so bad? Do you love what you do? I, I do, actually. And when you put it like that, no, my life is quite wonderful. <laughs> and so is mine. It's totally phenomenal. <laughs> it's phenomenal once I started to let go of those things that were stressors for me when that. I decided <laughs> that I needed to be better. So would you prefer to work in a boring, predictable industry instead of be tested and challenged on a regular basis? 
you know, you can keep your habits, but you can make wiser choices. And life and balance should be the first choice. For women, that is always, always the most difficult choice. Because you talked about your friend. You talked about her running out to buy groceries because there was nothing to, to make for lunch the next day. I think back about the time many years ago when my daughter was, I think, in eighth or ninth grade, my youngest, and she said that she would bring sugar to school the next day, a five-pound bag of sugar to make something. <laughs> I don't even remember what it was. And I thought to myself, A, we have no sugar in our house. We just don't keep sugar. It's not something that we have around. It would be like a salt shaker. We haven't had that in 100 years. An exaggeration, of course. So I had just moved to this area, and I thought, where can I find a grocery store that's still open at 11 o'clock at night where I can buy sugar? Because I knew that they didn't open until 8 in the morning, and she needed to be at school at 745. I wanted her to have the sugar. I wanted her to look like the good kid who followed through on her commitment. She said she'd bring it. Okay. But where was I going to find it? And so for me, it was an incredible form of stress. The same thing happened, gosh, two years ago, my daughter had decided that our grandson, who at the time was five, would go to day camp near our house at the Botanic Gardens. And so therefore, I would have him stay with me for a week and I would pack his lunch every day. But she didn't send a lunchbox. (laughs) And I had to run out at midnight and find a lunch bag. And the only store open was Walmart. And it was a Walmart. Truthfully, I've almost never been to a Walmart, but I definitely never been to this one where the language of choice was Spanish. And my Spanish at the time was limited to, if you take this drug, your hair will fall out, or I need to give you a blood transfusion. It was not, (laughs) where do I find a lunch bag? And so finally, at about 11.30 or midnight, I ran out with this lunch bag that was horrible looking, but at least it was something that he could use. The idea was, we wait until the last minute, we don't plan our day, we don't recognize the things that perhaps we will need in the future. Now, if I have somebody who's going to come stay with me for a couple of weeks, I provide their parents with a list of this is what the child will need according to the camp handout. And although you're busy, please make sure that you send these things or let me know in advance if it's better for me to get it here. It makes sense. It minimizes my expense of time and energy, and it avoids complication in my own life. And the time that you spend preparing is much less than the time that you spent driving around in the middle of the night. Exactly. We've all been there where, you know, as a woman, for example, the lunches are made, okay? The lunches are packed. The backpacks are checked. The laundry is done. The laundry is folded. And guess what? Perhaps it's even put away. Wouldn't that be a miracle? The groceries (laughs) are purchased. Every single thing is done. Everything in the house that needs to be tended to, if it requires maintenance or or a mechanic, or a visit from someone on the outside, all of those things are done. And at the end of the day, for your friend between 3 and 4 a.m., she, or many of us, take time for us. Mm -hmm. It needs to be better than that. We need to do better. Or you know what? Someday there will not be an us. Mm -hmm. Our body is going to retaliate and tell us otherwise. 
And you see that. I mean, I've seen people who have just worked themselves and they get physically sick and, and you can just see the connection in terms of the choices that they've made. The other thing that I always wonder, you know, as you're describing sort of running out and making sure that you have these things for your kids. And I also wonder about the messages that we're giving our kids and our daughters and we're sort of creating this cycle of what they believe is the correct way to be um, and how important is it uh, for us to give the right messages to them in terms of life balance. You know, that's a really interesting comment. No one has ever said that to me before, but I have two adult daughters and they are overachievers. There is no (laughs) question in my mind. They are just like their mom. And many times they'll say to me, I'm so glad I got that work ethic from you. (laughs) They are such powerful women. One of them runs a division for a company with half of her staff in India and does these ongoing calls with them every week and told me she's heading out to India in February to meet with her staff. The other one is an accomplished musician, an academic professor, has a clinical practice, and is a mom. And the one who's going to India also just adopted a 10-and-a-half-year-old from the foster system. They, they're overworked, no question whatsoever. They have passion for everything that they do. But I'm very proud of the fact that even with a strong work ethic, they make time for themselves. One of them rides a bike every day and goes to the gym every day. The other one goes to the gym, has a personal trainer, and is very involved in self-care. I'm so glad that they take the time to do what is necessary to allow them to feel good about themselves. It allows them to make a stronger contribution at work and a stronger contribution in their personal lives. So they were able to inherit both messages from you, both in terms of having professional ambition, but also in terms of making choices and not putting themselves last or even lower than last um, on the list. So that's great. What a great uh, tribute to you. Sharon, I want to ask you about, you know, we've sort of spoken about how it's important for us to make choices for ourselves. Um, As an, an administrator myself in the healthcare system, as sort of leaders and managers, what can we be doing to help our employees make those correct or healthy choices? Well, the first question I ask is, do you work more than 12 hours a day? I've got some bad news for you because it's literally (laughs) killing you and not helping your business. That's not to say that I don't love what I do. I thoroughly enjoy my work, but I'm also aware of the fact that there has to be a balance between my personal and my professional life. And if I want to be productive, if as a business owner I want to keep my employees happy and I want to maintain the health of the business, I need to look at my employee benefits and include time for a healthy work-life balance. Because when you and your employees get overwhelmed and burned out, you're going to get less done in the workplace. And that's because the stress and the fatigue of burnout can lead to brains that look exactly like ones that are sound asleep. Mm. People don't think about that. Again, that's a warm body taking up space. So boosting workforce productivity doesn't hinge on employees actually participating in the work-life services offered by the employer. Employees need to be reassured that the service is there and that they have the option to participate should they choose to do so. But having it available has been shown to reduce staff turnover and recruitment costs. And we all know that it takes us more to recruit a new person 
than it does to train, educate, and bring up to speed an existing person. Mm -hmm. So when we look at numbers, 57% of workers think that their employer is doing enough to address work-life balance. 43% don't. 51% of people say that their work-life balance has not changed because of the recession. 37% of those who do not have balance say time with family is the first thing that suffers. Let's face it, that's what's going to suffer. And mm-hmm. personal time spent reading or relaxing follows that. Women say that they have less balance than men. And when we look at the workforce across North America, when it was studied by the Families and Work Institute, they reinforce that. They say that in today's economic environment, stress is attributed to having a job as much as not having one. Hmm. How many people think about that? If an employee fears the loss of a job, even a job that's not great, he or she is stressed. How will the family be fed? How will they pay their bills? You know, will they have to think twice before making a routine purchase? We all have different stress triggers. Work, though, tops the list. So, so that brings me back then to something that you said earlier about um, the importance of loving what you do. I mean, work, work takes so much of our time, our waking hours. Um, and you spoke about you know, the importance of knowing your values, loving what you do, and having passion for what you do. How, how do we do that? How do we sort of find the meaning in our work or what it means for us? Um, you know, we all have different kinds of jobs. And for some of us, it might be very in line with, you know, something that we're passionate about and have always been passionate about. But for some of us, you know, it, it is a job and perhaps it's harder to find what we're going to love about it. How do we go about doing that? Good question. How do we go about finding what's important to us and what will work for us? I think it's important to know your purpose in order to support a balanced life. So when you think about it, Henry David Thoreau once said that many men go fishing all of their lives without knowing it's not fish they're after. Hmm. Think about it. Life purpose is what gives meaning to our lives and a reason why we're here on earth. Each of us has a natural reason for being. I tell people to think about what brings you the greatest joy in your life and pursue it. Some questions you can ask yourself when you're getting in touch with your life purpose are, what gives your life meaning? What do you notice as the main themes in your life? And what is your contribution going to be during your lifetime? What does that mean to you? That seems to work in terms of finding a direction for each and every one of us to pursue. Yes, financially, we may need to stay in a job that brings us no value other than a paycheck, that brings us no sense of personal growth or professional development or purpose other than the fact that we get a check. But my theory is that everyone should have some sort of a plan B to allow themselves to eventually transition into something that for years is something that has been on the back burner simply because of a lack of balance, but can be eventually moved onto that front burner and give them what it is they're really looking for. So even if it's a matter of pursuing whatever that passion might be outside of the work hours, that could be a way of uh, connecting a bit more with what gives you meaning in your life. 
Exactly. You know, for years, society has tried to assure ambitious young women in particular that if they work hard enough, they could juggle both a high-demanding career and a family. We're all familiar with Sheryl Sandberg, Facebook COO, mm-hmm. who says otherwise. She admitted that balancing both worlds is extremely difficult, but a necessity if we wish to have more women leaders in the workforce. But what about other working women, women who don't have the high-paying job that she has? They do everything for others before they do anything for themselves. Traditional Chinese medicine tells us that they're earth personalities who care for everyone first. We're givers. We're nurturers. We're caregivers. We always provide support for others at home and at work. But we're also capable, creative, and resourceful. That is why we're so adept at multitasking. That's why we've mastered it. That's why we can outwork many of the men in our lives. <laughs> that That's true when I look at, you know, what – Um, someone actually said, you know, if you want something done and you're in a volunteer situation or a board situation, find the the, woman. Exactly. Find the working mom who is doing everything and she'll be the one who will get it done. (laughs) And it's kind of true. Yeah. She will find that time because she can probably do it in less hours per day and get it done well and quickly. Yeah, you you learn by experience in terms of how to be super efficient uh, and organized out of necessity. Exactly. We've done it before. We'll do it again. That's <laughs> true. Okay, so, I mean, you've convinced me for sure that this is something that we all need to try to do more, to make these choices where we are balancing um, the things that are of value to us. But let's say there's a listener out there who is really struggling, say someone like my friend or, you know, who's really struggling with finding a way of putting themselves back on this list of things that they feel that they have to do or have to accomplish. I mean, where does someone even start? Concretely, what could someone go away today with and actually try to do or to think about differently? Again, another great question. To me, I think you need to know when enough is enough. That's first. Mm -hmm. So take a moment to reflect on your own career. If you were to lose your job today, how would that affect you? If you needed a professional recommendation, who would you contact to provide it? How would that recommendation look and feel? Do other people think of you as a resource or as a go-to person? You may love your work. I loved mine. And dislike those with whom you work. We've all found people like that in the workplace. Work satisfaction studies reveal that job frustration is the number one problem that people express. We've all had a bad day at the office, haven't we? (laughs) So when do we know enough is enough? Number one, listen to your body. It's a great indicator. If your job makes you ill, it may be time to look elsewhere. Simplify your life. Try to eliminate your stress. Negotiate for balance. Know your purpose. Stay focused. Take time to eat, to sleep, and to be happy. Allow humor into your life, dream big dreams, and master the fine art of list making, but make the list something that you must do, not something that is just a to-do. I think that it's critical for individuals to learn to be stress-free, to learn to recognize what it is that will make them happy in life. 
So what can somebody do today? They can, again, decide what's most important in your life. Identify three areas that are most important. For me, those would be health and well-being, family, and my nonprofit and professional work. If health is a priority for you, take time to achieve it. Eat well, be well, do well. Begin an exercise program, even if it's only a 15-minute walk a day if you've not already done so. Family is important to me, so when I'm with family members, I give them my undivided attention. A good example is several years ago, my kids told me, and they were adults or in college at the time, and said, we're not going to talk to you anymore. And I said, excuse me? And they said, no, we're not going to talk to you on the phone anymore. And I said, well, tell me what the problem is. And they said, dad always listens to us. We know that he is listening to us 100% when we're talking. When you're talking to us, we can hear you typing 150 words a minute in the background. So even though you're smart enough, and they acknowledge that, to multitask, we know that you're not 100% engaged in what we're saying. And so I tested them. I said, ask me a question, and I'll feed back exactly what you said. And, of course, I got it right. (laughs) But still, they were right. I needed to shift my mindset and recognize who was important to me in life and what message was I sending so that when I'm Skyping now with a five-year-old grandchild, my attention is on that child. I want to hear what he or she did in preschool or in kindergarten. I want to know what's important to them and what's happening in their lives. I want to know if somebody was intentionally bullying them in some way. I want to offer my listening ear so that they know that I am engaged with them. One of my passions is a not-for-profit foundation that I founded after I worked so many hours in Eastern Europe. It was important to me. It still is important to me. It's important because it allows me to pursue the work that I was doing previously, but to do it on my own time. So we educate healthcare leaders in developing countries, and the work is personally and professionally fulfilling. I, again, think strongly that those who are seeking balance need to start. And the way to start is by looking at what's important to you. Make a list of only three things evaluate the time and the energy that you're giving to them and then take it from there. That's very good advice. Uh, And I like how you structure that in terms of thinking really about three things that are of value, um, which we can all do. And it certainly helps us focus. And I, and I feel as though sort of the theme of what you've been saying has really been to figure out what those things are and then to focus fully on them and be fully present, whether it is a task at work, to be fully present at that moment on that task, or as you say, with your grandchild, to be fully present, then you're using your time um, in a much more balanced and effective way. Exactly. I always give a really good example when I'm speaking to nurses. If a nurse is in an intensive care unit and she or he has two patients, their focus is on those two patients. But Then the school calls and says that your child fell and broke his arm. Where is your mind at that time? Mm -hmm. Is it with those two patients and how quickly you can turf them off to somebody else? Or is it with your child at the school and how fast you can get there? You need to decide what's important to you in that moment. And whatever it is, take the time to allow for that transition of care to somebody else and for allow time for you to get to the school with your mind intact 
without rushing, without driving, hazardously, making sure that whatever you're doing at that moment, you're doing really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great example, and that's exactly it, making sure whatever it is that you're doing in that moment, you're doing really well. The other thing that you said that really struck me was when you said, so make a list of the things that you must do, not the things that you think you should do. Um, which are two very different things. And I think sometimes we have a hard time with that. We all have these to-do lists that are, you know, four miles long um, and we have a hard time actually looking at them concretely and saying, okay, what do I, what must I do? And what do I want to do based on perhaps those three values that you've already sort of highlighted? Exactly. Because everyone, you're right, has a to-do list that is miles long. But do those things really matter 100%? Will someone die if they're not done? (laughs) Will some horrible thing befall us because they're not done at the time that you wanted them to be done? Can we possibly put them on our follow-up list or do them later on or make it something that perhaps we can revisit in a week or two or three or five? Does it have to be now? And then do now what needs to be done now. Mm-hmm. Do what you must do that if you don't do will have a negative impact on your health, on your life, or on the health or life of someone else. I like that. Do what you must do now. And and it's also reassuring. So I'm going to start reminding myself that no one's going to die if the laundry is not folded until tomorrow. <laughs> exactly. The clothes might be wrinkled because they sat in the dryer too long. So you'll smooth them out a little bit. Probably no one ever uses an iron anymore. I had to go look for one to work on a brownie daisy outfit that I needed to iron. I didn't even know where it was. And I'll be honest, I barely knew how to turn it on. It had been so long. But you're right. Look at what must be done that will damage someone or something if it's not done. And then act appropriately. Yeah, great, great advice. Now, you also said something else. You said you you believed strongly that it was important that we live stress-free. So I have to ask you, you know, I hear about your schedule between your professional work and your nonprofit and your grandchildren. Do you actually live stress-free? None of us lives 100% stress-free. None of us does. No matter what, there's always something that comes up something that arises that was unexpected that causes us to have to juggle our act, keep us away from the balancing act, unable to do it all and care for others, and it just happens. You're only as good as you are balanced, however. So if you don't take time for yourself, yes, with the array of responsibilities pressuring you, you'll never be the best that you can be. And that includes you as a mom, a wife, a friend, a partner, a professional, an educator, a community leader, whatever you do and do well. Do I live stress-free? The answer is I live probably 90% stress-free by monitoring my time, knowing my limits, making good choices that work for me. For example, I delayed my morning five-mile walk so that I could be with you this morning, but I'm leaving for that walk in about 30 minutes. I know that I must do that because it's for me. So realizing what is most important and making that the focal point of my life. 
all of this is possible because it's important to me. You've heard, we've all heard about selecting your battles. That usually comes to the front when we're talking about dealing with teenagers, doesn't it? (laughs) No. When you're raising teenagers, the same is true of life. You need to decide what is important and recognize the outcomes of your decisions. So what do I do? When I'm fronted with so many decisions or my desk is full or there are too many calls in a row, I take a deep breath. I practice mindfulness. I practice meditation every day, and I have affirmations on my phone set as timers, as alarms to tell me at 2 o'clock, take a deep breath and think this. Think that you're a successful professional, and so will you be. I do that. I walk. I hydrate. I follow the adage of doing one half of your body weight in ounces of water per day. I know myself. I use reminders for myself. I follow my passion to the limit. And I accept myself and my failures. I know that I cannot be all things to all people, but I do know that I need to be good to me in order to make an effort at paying it forward. That's how I live stress-free. And and what a great piece of advice for all of us um, that you can't be all things to all people, but you do need to uh, be true to yourself and put yourself um, as a as a priority. Sharon, sadly, we are slowly running out of time, but I'm wondering, uh, you know, I feel like you've done so much already, but what's coming up next for you? Do you have any interesting projects on the horizon? I'm really excited that the publisher of my book, Be Is for Balance, the second edition, has chosen my book among three others of all of their titles, and they have hundreds, for a dedicated website. So there is now a website to which people can turn that is called BeIsForBalance.com. I blog on that site. I love that site. My only responsibility for maintaining that site, lucky me, is to add the blog. I invite people to look at my speaker website, which is SharonMWeinstein.com. And my consulting site, where I also offer advice with respect to how to speak for a living, how to give a 30-second introduction, which many of us struggle with. And that's smwgroupllc.com. I'm constantly on Twitter. I invite you to follow me on Facebook and on LinkedIn. And my upcoming engagements are three sessions, one in High Point, North Carolina this week, followed by Chicago next week followed by The Wages of Stress in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, followed by Phoenix, Arizona. If you can't keep up with that, on January the 16th, and the announcement will be posted on SMW Group LLC and on my social media, I start a 12-week series that is based on B is for Balance, and it will be via Mm -hmm. webinar. And that's exciting. So I have a lot going on in my own life, but I still manage to take my morning walk to hydrate, and to do what's right for me. I invite all of your listeners to engage with me, to follow me, and to see and explore how I might be of benefit to them. 
That's wonderful. And that webinar sounds very exciting. Um, that's, I'm going to definitely check that out uh, myself. That's great. I'll make sure that we include uh, your websites in the notes for this show. And Sharon, Perfect. I just cannot thank you enough for joining me this morning for this conversation. And you've left me even personally, uh, as well as professionally, with many things to think about. And uh, I think I might just take the choice to go for a walk myself today and think a little bit more about some of the things that you've left me with. Thank you. I am so glad if I've left any of you with a message. It is the strong message to take a look at yourself and what you're doing for yourself this very day to allow you to have 15 to 20 minutes. It's a starting point for life work balance. Wonderful. Sharon, you have a wonderful rest of the day. And you as well. Thank you. (laughs) Take care. Bye-bye. That was Sharon Weinstein with some great insights and advice on how to achieve some balance in our lives. And listeners, I, I ask you, you know, start today, go for that walk, think about what those three values might be that are a priority for you. Uh, and as she says, it is a choice that we can all make. If Sharon can do it with her busy schedule, we can certainly do it uh, as well. And from the balance in our lives to connecting with the meaning of it all. Join me next week, same time, same place, as I am joined by Scott Motts, author of Make It Matter, for a conversation about motivation by creating meaning. That is going to be a really interesting show and kind of a nice follow-up to today's conversation. Before I leave you to go off to do whatever it is that you are going to do this Sunday to regain some balance before the new work week, let me leave you with some last wise words on this topic from Ellen DeGeneres, who said, my point is life is about balance, the good and the bad, the highs and the lows, the pina and the colada. This is Maya and I am out. Every day feels like Sunday morning. Still got my day job, but I feel so free. Baby, I Sunday morning Still got my day job But I feel so free